During the second century AD, Rome was ruled by a line of emperors born in Iberia, in whose veins probably flowed at least a few drops of local Iberian blood. The reigns of Trajan, Hadrian, Antoninus, Pius, and Marcus Aurelius are generally thought to constitute the empire's golden age. After that, all the ethnic dams were let down. Emperor Septimius Severus, 193-211, was the scion of a Punic family from Libya. El Agabalus, 218-222, was a Syrian. Emperor Philip, 244-249, was known colloquially as Philip the Arab. The empire's new citizens adopted Roman imperial culture with such zest that for centuries and even millennia after the empire itself collapsed, they continued to speak the empire's language, to believe in the Christian god that the empire had adopted from one of its Levantine provinces, and to live by the empire's laws. A similar process occurred in the Arab Empire. When it was established in the mid-7th century AD, it was based on a sharp division between the ruling Arab Muslim elite and the subjugated Egyptians, Syrians, Iranians, and Berbers, who were neither Arabs nor Muslim. Many of the empire's subjects gradually adopted the Muslim faith the Arabic language, and a hybrid imperial culture. The old Arab elite looked up these pervainous with deep hostility, fearing to lose its unique status and identity. The frustrated converts clamored for an equal share within the empire and in the world of Islam. Eventually they got their way Egyptians, Syrians, and Mesopotamians were increasingly seen as Arabs. Arabs in their turn, whether authentic Arabs from Arabia or newly minted Arabs from Egypt and Syria, came to be increasingly dominated by non-Arab Muslims, in particular by Iranians, Turks, and Berbers. The great success of the Arab imperial project was that the imperial culture it created was wholeheartedly adopted by numerous non-Arab people who continued to uphold it, develop it, and spread it even after the original empire collapsed and the Arabs as an ethnic group lost their dominion. In China, the success of the imperial project was even more thorough. For more than 2,000 years, a welter of ethnic and cultural groups, first termed barbarians, were successfully integrated into imperial Chinese culture and became Han Chinese, so named after the Han Empire that ruled China from 206 BC to AD 220. The ultimate achievement 
of the Chinese Empire is that it is still alive in Keqing. Yet it is hard to see it as an empire except in outlying areas such as Tibet and Xinjiang. More than 90% of the population of China are seen by themselves and by others as Han. We can understand the decolonization process of the last few decades in a similar way. During the modern era, Europeans conquered much of the globe under the guise of a spreading of spreading a superior western culture. They were so successful that billions of people gradually adopted significant parts of that culture. Indians, Africans, Arabs, Chinese, and Maoris learned French, English, and Spanish. They began to believe in human rights and the principle of self-determination, and they adopted Western ideologies such as liberalism, capitalism, communism, feminism, and nationalism. During the 20th century, local groups that had adopted Western values claimed to equally, rather, claimed equality with their European conquerors in the name of these very values. Many anti-colonial struggles were waged under the banners of self-determination, socialism, and human rights, all of which are Western legacies. Just as Egyptians, Iranians, and Turks adopted and adapted the imperial culture that they inherited from the original Arab conquerors, so today's Indians, Africans, and Chinese have accepted much of the imperial culture of their former Western overlords, while seeking to mold it in accordance to their needs and traditions.